Hello and welcome back to Mad Get Radio, episode number 23. Tonight on the show we're talking about all things magical. From spells to spells to spells. Not going to lie, I didn't know where I was going with that tangent. So, to save me, he's the Cornwall to my Devon. It's Paul. That's totally not the magical duo that I had in mind that I thought you were going to use. Okay, right, so who is that magical duo, do you know? Cornwall and uh, Devon. I don't, I'd be lying, I'd be guessing. It is the two-headed dragon from, of course, the quest for Camelot, the magic sword. <laughs> <laughs> Voiced by Eric okay. Idle and someone else. I think I'm showing my age here. I think I was too old for that. 1998? What is it? Well, I wasn't 98? too old. I was, I was 11. Mate, you, missed, you missed out. What a classic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'll check it out after this. <laughs> Defo. I think it is actually so shit it will not be on Netflix. It'll be on YouTube. Don't have popped up there. Gary Oldman was in it. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah. I do yeah. like about Gary Oldman. So, Who was Gary Oldman in it? Uh, he was the bad guy in it, I think. If I remember oh, nice. right. Yeah, nope. it was like kind of held up as like the biggest flop in animated history because I had this awesome cast and it just flopped. So who was your magic duo? <laughs> I thought you were going to say like Gandalf and Radagast or something like that. Oh, Gandalf and Radagast would be good. I thought Gandalf and Saruman, but that kind of sets the tone, doesn't it? If we say that. That was my original thought, and then I was like, ah, but Saruman goes bad. Yeah. That's confrontation at an early stage in the podcast, which we can yeah, afford. Yeah, Exactly. So, Paul, what are we chatting about today? So, we're talking about magic, the whole phase, different spells, different lures. I think it's one of the unique parts of the game, so I think it's worth it spending about time thinking about it, talking about it. I think it's been one of the big successes on the whole, since the kind of big shake-up they had about 18 months ago. I think it's definitely improved the game. And I think when you think about it, there's a lot of really cool, unique mechanics across the different army books. I think it's something the project's done really well. Nice, because we chose it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, right? Well, that, I think people should know by now what they're getting into. So before we go into the main topic of the show, uh, we'll quickly run through some recent news. So... A couple of weeks ago, there was the Durham tournament. Say recent. Okay, yeah, so before we go any further, I should probably apologise for the lack of uh, content from Madget Radio Incorporated. And a massive part of that has been myself. Life has just been very busy. However, we are back. And uh, gearing up for ETC, if anyone asks. We totally are. We are totally doing that. Yeah, it's a thing. Getting ready with games and stuff. Um, oh yeah, like prepping, like there's a thing called a Matrix, which I don't know if anyone's heard of. It's not the film. So we've been doing that. So there was Durham. Uh, a few of us went down to Durham. So there was myself, Martin and Ed. Martin could only play one day because he can't handle his liquor. But he is only wee. Right? He, he is only wee. Poor soul. He was rough as fuck on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> But that was a I feel th- that's karmic justice after I'm um, giving Tim such a hard time after ETC well, last year. Well, you could definitely argue that point of view, I'm sure. But the event itself is fantastic. Uh, Drew and James did a, fin- like, a phenomenal job. The prize support was excellent. The event was just really great. All the guys there, fantastic crack. It was. It was just super. And Ed won. What? I know. So the so competition was obviously it. shit. <laughs> in terms of playing ability. <laughs> but no, Ed won. He played Nav, didn't he? He did play Nav. Um, yeah. Very convincing win in the end as well. So massive congratulations to Ed. A wildling, as in a native wildling, not Tim, who we 
who we hold up as the the star wildling who wins as you know foreigner you know famous stuff. He's an adopted adopted wildling. Adopted wildling, but an it's actual John Snow of the wildlings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Tormund <laughs> actually wanted something, so that was great. Well done, uh, Ed. There. Mm. I was very jealous. I couldn't go. It did look like a really good event. It was just honestly, I can't say it enough. It was the best event I've been to since the first time we did Siege. Are there plans for it to run next year? Yes, I think annually is what they're aiming for. And what is really, really cool, and something we discussed a little bit um, when we were down there, is that we are now starting to get this kind of northern circuit going on. So yeah. between us, the guys in Durham, and Shane's organising uh, Beanie Bash in November, which everyone should go, and that's that will be in, in Durham or Newcastle. Um, so we're now starting to get this kind of like almost full calendar year of events going on. What's the um? It's a group then, and is Shane part of the Liverpool group? No, so yeah, because like that's Jonty's Jonty's pad now. Yeah, um, so him and like Tim Ross, I think, are. I, I randomly bumped into Jonty the other week because we had a, a fire alarm at work and we were standing outside, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure he said that they're they're looking to set up like a a one day event with their club at some point awesome. this year. So that's another club in the north. Yeah. And then obviously we've got all the events at Stockport as well. So like, this yeah. is... I mean, if you think back to a few years ago when we kind of started out, there was nothing like this. So it's really good that that's kind of starting to come into form now. And consistently there's events all throughout the year. And we're getting new people as well, which is always nice. There was a couple of new faces at Durham. Yeah, it's kind of crazy actually. Like, if you just think of the UK as a whole, like how many events run every year? Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, the ninth age is strong, living and vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, apart from Durham, we've also been etc prepping. So, how's that going yeah. for you, Paul? Without giving away, you know, state secrets because we're we're going to win, obviously, with Team Scotland. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a thing. Yeah, it's going to happen. At some point, yeah, yeah, prep's been good. Lots of practice games, lots of uh, discovering how to use UB, lots of swearing at the screen, trying to get your units to fade the right fucking direction. That could be uh, a cool little uh, poll for listeners. We'll maybe just set that up on Twitter. Who else thinks that UB dice are bullshit? They're definitely extreme. Like you can have an amazing game, and then you can have an absolutely dog shit game. There's no in between. No. I don't think I've ever played a game with UB where I've felt that the dice have been averaged throughout. It is, it's the spikes, isn't it? That is just bananas. Yeah. Playing against Edge last week, my dice were amazing. Like, I'm pretty sure like every shit game I've ever had has been repaid with every dice roll I had in that game. Like, really? That good? It, like, at one point in the game, it was like, uh, waters are going to charge your dogs. Alright, they're going to flee. These little wizards on a wolf, 11 inches away, I'm like, fuck it, I may as well roll it. Roll it, get in, Kelly's wizard. It was just like Lol. amazing. <laughs> just like shit like that. It was just like, oh, this is going really well. <laughs> like, so it turns out to win games, you just need to roll well. Who dug a funk about that? I know, right? Fucking mental. So uh, that's been good. Lots of games, lots of painting, working on stuff. You've been uh, very well behaved with your painting. You're like totally bashing on Ed. Well, I just kind of set my goal for ETC that I wanted. Not a full new newly painted army, but like pretty much. So like, I would say every unit bar one is newly painted. I've spent a bit more time with the basin, so yeah, I think it's going to look good. 
very impressed. What about uh, you, man? What have you been doing? I've done fuck all, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've done... I can't actually remember the last time I painted a model. It must have been before tech. No, that's not true, sorry. After tech, I painted my um, my new vampire BSB. Oh, yeah. Um, which I'm very happy with, actually. The banner is very nice. It's been like a long time since I've had just a lot of time to do one model. Um, yeah. So that was quite nice, actually, just sit and paint one model over a few days. But just life's been very busy, so I haven't really had the time or motivation when I have had time to um, do much painting. But I've had quite a lot of practice games, which have been good fun, mm-hmm. and playing you a lot on UB, which, yeah. is, which has been um, eventful. I yeah, think it, some yeah. good games. Some good games, some mental games. For me? For Well, no, I, I think the, the vampire count, uh, sorry, the flying vampire making... Something like 12 4-ups out of 15. Is that right? Because he survived on one wound? I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm pretty sure that has happened, whether it's been a UB or just... Usual bullshit. <laughs> just, yeah, but it's been good. Like, it's it's super handy. Like, it's not the same as playing in the no. flesh, no. so to speak, but, like, for trying to get practice games in, it is really good. Yeah, definitely. Like, I would recommend it. Like, I think it is worth the investment, and there's always people on there looking for games. Yeah. It's good um, just for like a bit of a laugh as well. Like just plug in, and there's been a few nights where someone's been playing on UB, and everyone else has kind of just joined the chat and just had a bit of a blether while people are playing. It's been quite good. Yeah, the other like big benefit of it as well is just the ability to play whatever you want, regardless of whether or not you have the minis. Yeah. So you can just be like, like, oh, I feel like playing a whole new army, or I've that stuff, but I can run it on UB because it doesn't matter. Like it's really good. So, would recommend it. Yeah, definitely. So, this episode isn't about UB. It's about magic. It's um, about magic. <laughs> but before we do that, I should shout out about uh, Strife, which is coming up. So, yeah. Strife will happen this year. It's a slightly different format. It will be taking place at the end of August. And it will be a one-day tournament singles. And what we're trying to do is trying to tease some of the people who have been part of like the Wildlands Facebook group or the, the Twitter followers who are, we know they're local, but they just haven't been able to come down yet. So we're kind of framing it like a, almost an intro event. Yeah. So if, if you listen to this and you've never made it down or you're semi-local or very local and you've been hiding, you sneaky sod, come on down and uh, basically throw some dice and it's going to be very chilled out. Uh, one day event, the Iron guys are coming over, which we're very psyched about. And essentially, it's just going to be very much a pick-up play in a kind of vaguely tournament structure. So it should be yeah. very relaxed and just a good chat and good good games. Yeah, hopefully. I foresee a lot of kind of wacky lists. And yes. A, a lot of new players, no one taking it really seriously. So it would be a, a good laugh if people are interested. I am considering trying to get the dragon painted for it. Oh, really? How, yeah, depending on how much time I've got. Try and get the dragon done and do something stupid like 200 zombies and a dragon. <laughs> You're never going to... I mean, how many zombies do you have painted? Uh, 150, I think. You're not going to paint 50 more zombies. Unit fillers, mate. Unit fillers. <laughs> that's that's true. You can use your camp and see. Yeah, exactly. That's 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff. Because obviously ETC will be at the start of the month, so guys will be looking at detox. and Well, saying that, yeah. someone is going to turn up with... Twatty army, aren't they? Oh, we could say names, but I think that would be that would taste. be. Oh, of course, that would be pure speculation, wouldn't it? <laughs> but uh, no, I think it would be good crack. Yeah, it'll be good fun. 
Um, and a couple of just very quick shout-outs. If anyone is interested about the, the, the Durham event, uh, Tom Clues, who I had the absolute pleasure of playing, um, has put up a very cool written battle report for each of his games on the forum. So you can go oh, uh, nice. find that. Tom is an absolute pleasure to play. And he's listening to the podcast, so hey, Tom. Nice. Uh, and the, the, the battle was... reports are really good. Really what was he playing? It. He was playing Highborn Elves. Won't hold that against him. No, won't, exactly. And he's not like your standard Highborn Elf player yet. He's actually like a nice person to talk to. Nice. Yeah. And uh, he's the Ren reports, and like actually on the day, he was very much like he's still very, quite new to the game. Um, and he's see a lot of like when we were all kind of starting out as well, where you're quite critical of yourself when you're playing. And uh, the battle reports especially, he's been very frank about the decisions he's made. And it just makes for a very good read, even if, you know, you weren't particularly interested in the Durham event just from a pure tactics point of view. It's very interesting. So I would recommend that. And also, um, the lovely Jack Williams, the, the guardian of the Outback, has started a podcast called Battle Focus, which has released a few episodes and is 100% worth a listen if anyone's uh, got the time. Anyone's I've not got... had the time to check this out yet, but I know you said it was quite good, so it's the, definitely on my list. The crack is um, top quality. Is he an ETC chap? He, I can't remember if he was there last year. I think he's definitely got ETC experience connections. Um, I think he's helping out. Um, I'm sure he'll correct me once this goes up on Twitter because he's very prolific there. Um, but I think he's like a advising coach for Australia this year, maybe. Cool. Because I did message him, and he isn't going to Novisad because I thought there could be some sexy, sexy crossover episode that we could maybe get recorded while we're in Novisad, but unfortunately. The, the gods will not allow it. But uh, absolutely worth a listen. The very cool group of guys he's got there, actually, in terms of when they're talking about their games. So, worth a listen. Obviously, listen to us first, because um, we need your, <laughs> need your love and support. Did you guys play Australia last year at EPC in a warm-up game? No, we played New Zealand. Oh, no, sorry, we played uh, New Zealand first round. We weren't high enough to play Australia. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> um, Australia, do their actual practice games are quite set in stone because they always play England for the Ashes and then they always play New Zealand for the uh, Bledisloe Cup. Ah, okay. So cool. that's basically their, their ETC prep. So that's all cool. So actually, you know, 17 minutes into the podcast, let's discuss the main topic of the show. The magic phase. Insert magical sound here. I'll do that. Okay. Totally not going to do that. We're going to okay, leave this really cool. awkward segment in. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying desperately to think of a magical sound that's coming right. Shazam! Main Boss. topic of the show. See, if you just cut that out, just the Shazam, that'll work perfectly. No, no totally one will know. This is so Flawless. So, main topic of the show, if I can speak properly. What do we think about the new system of magic, and has it been a success? And if there is anything that we would change about it? Having you know had a good portion of time now to reflect on it. So what do you think, Paolo? Magic, yay or nay? Very much yay. Like when I'm building lists and stuff, I find it very hard not to take magic now. Uh, whereas before, like 1.3, I didn't run magic at all. Yeah. I just went like anti-magic in my lists. I think you can still do that now. There's some cool items you can utilize if you want to be just magic defense and just go full aggro if you want, but I think being too many games I've had where spells have gone off and it's just made the game completely different and having that ability to alter the the course of the game is, is just too big not to try and compete in. 
Mm. And I think bring in at least, you know, a couple of casters and some bounce spells or something like that. Having some sort of magical contingent to either buff offensively in combat or trying to see damage from range, I think it's, it's too good not to kind of be part of. And I think for the most part, the project's done a really good job. I think uh, it's certainly more balanced than it was before. Obviously, going from the old system, you know, they cut back the number of paths available. They took away a lot of the kind of old 8th edition type spells. It just would win you the game if you managed to roll super high. Which I think at the time, people were worried that it was going to strip away too much fun from the game, too much randomness. Yeah. But I think on the whole, they've left enough in. And I think there's enough unique stuff in each book that keeps that element of flavour for each army. So I think it's I think it's been really good on the whole. I really enjoy the magic phase. Okay, so there's but, a couple definitely a couple strands there that we want to pick up on. Yeah. Right. So if we if we talk about just the actual magic system first. Obviously the big change was the card system. So yeah. gone gone was the magic flux. What do you think about that having, you know, played that for a while? Because I am a hundred percent of the opinion that this has been a massive boost and I was very skeptical at first because I'm not a fan of card systems normally in games. Yeah. When they announced it was going to be a card system, I was a bit sceptical because it, in my mind it was introducing too much of a different element to the game yeah. that in my mind was just purely dice-based and having cards and stuff. I was like, oh, it's going to be a pain. You're going to have to have more things on the table and more things to keep track of. Like I say, I think it's been more balanced. Um, you can still get the odd phase and certain armies can have super strong magic phases where you can still be getting you know, three spells off a turn, which is quite a lot. You know, casting four or five spells yeah. and getting two or three through. So it, I think it doesn't detract from having a, a strong magic phase. There is a little bit of kind of tactics to it and that you can try and plan ahead because you know the options. You know how much dice are going to be available. So I think on the whole it's it's been good. And I think, like you say, we've had about 18 months playing this system. And um, I don't think anyone would really want to go back just to rolling randomly 2d6 and hoping that you roll well. I, yeah. think it's, I think it's much better. And you can totally build your list around it. So you can you can mitigate it if you're worried that, you know, you want to be performing well in the phase. Like, you can be bringing more wizards, you can be bringing items to boost your magical output. So I think it's been good. Okay, so the card system gets the mad get thumbs up. Now, interestingly, what you said a minute ago was that you still think that you can run without magic. I think you can if you want to. I personally wouldn't. Yeah. How would you see an army running without magic? Because I, I kind of feel that magic's just too good not to take now. I guess it just depends on the army and the list coming from playing warriors. Like, you know, if you're not spending four, five hundred points, six hundred points on a caster, yeah, that's a big angry unit that people don't want to fight. So... Off the top of my head, something like a Feldrak heavy themed list that doesn't move slower than eight inches. Everything has swift strike that it can just drop for first turn and push up in your face. That's a pretty scary prospect. Okay. Doing that trade off still worth it then? I think it can be. I mean, you can still be selective in what you're fighting in the combats that you're going after. It's actually not something I've done. I've never actually ran a list without some sort of magic in it and um, whether it be a combination of like low level casters or just bringing like a master but 
I think you can. I mean, the, we don't have the the spell scroll thing anymore, but like the binding scrolls are really strong as certain like in certain armies. Yeah, they're definitely in vogue like, just now as well, aren't they? Just like being able to shut down like raising an, an undead army, or you know, shutting down attribute spells that can really fuck over certain lists. Yeah, like a lot of Sylvan Elf lists are running like this the stacked ether icons in their units. Yeah, from you can get like yeah. Something ridiculous like Emrys Four on a unit, you know, like you, you can tailor your list to degree. I don't know if they're necessarily the most competitive lists, but like from a fun fluff perspective, I think you can certainly have a good time running a list without any magic in. Mm. Um, certainly, if you've got an army that can compete heavily in the shooting phase as well, you might be less reliant on a magic phase if you can kind of really do the damage in the other parts of the game. I think you probably could. As I say, I, I think magic's too good of a phase on the whole probably for most people to do that. I think most people enjoy the magic phase. It's certainly like a key part of the game. It's a fantasy game at the end of the day. People are drawn to the game because of elements like that. So I think for most people, I could see them rather than taking magic than not, but I'm sure you could. Okay. So when it was at Dharma played... Matt Tinsley. And Matt's yeah. just kind of coming back into things. So he only had an Adept and one Bound spell in terms of magic, which is basically nothing. And we talked a little bit about it when we were playing, and he was like, no, that's a massive mistake. But by sacrificing all the points he would have spent on magic, like because he spent like 100 points on his magic by doing it that way. Yeah. By not doing that, he had another combat unit, like you were saying. Yeah. And... Uh, First half of the game, I felt actually, you know, that extra combat unit might actually be worth it because uh-huh. it was just having that extra like charge threat, that extra you know combat where if you don't kill him in one turn, you're getting countercharged. But in the second half of the game, I felt like the ma- like my magic really just like pushed him over, and like the magic I, I, I was running wasn't you know I the maniac running an adept in two apprentices just now, uh-huh. and I still felt that like I just dominated him in the second half of that game because of magic. I think if you're going to take magic, you have to bring enough for it to be worth it. Yeah. So that doesn't necessarily mean having to bring a master, like you say. You can bring multiple low-level casters, and you can still have an effective magic phase. But there's no point in bringing, like, two spells, I think, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, You need to have enough options that your opponent has to make a decision to let something through that he doesn't want to get through. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, you can have that buff because it's not going to matter because I'm not going to charge you this turn and your other spell doesn't throw all my dice at it. I think you have to bring enough for it to be worth it. Maybe an advantage of like your list is that, you know, undead armies, like unless you get wiped out, you're just going to come back. And if you've got an effective raising ability, then you can be quite strong late game. Yeah. Whereas a lot of other armies can't, because there's no way for them to replenish those early losses, whereas you can. And I think if you're not bringing magic, and you are going to be more aggro than having speed, to your list is probably going to be more important because if you're giving your opponent time to cast spells and you're not going to be competing but you're not trying to shut them down then you're kind of relinquishing too much of the game I think so I think you probably can do it but your list is going to be heavily geared towards not having it so there's, there's going to be a very strong onus on speed hitting hard, hitting really fast or just having like massive amount of shooting or maybe even going 
MSU if, you, if your list can, can kind of pull that off. Yeah. If you've got the speed and the maneuverability to, to do that. But I think bringing like one guy with one spell or two spells is not worth the points. Uh, if you're going to either have to commit to it or not. Okay. So with that in mind, do you think that magic's too good? Or is it under-costed? Because this is something that's been it's been floating about the forums for a while. And in our group, this has uh, been one of Fraz's line of, atta- line of attacks recently. Is this idea that maybe magic's too good, especially magic that makes the most of uh, magic missiles. So, to paraphrase Fraz's thoughts, he's obviously come from playing Dwarven Holds, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about later on, but he's gone from Dwarven Holds to Infernal Dwarves, and he just feels that like he's kind of like had his eyes opened by this whole magic phase um, and the possibilities that it can unlock. He basically feels that for what you pay, the dividends you get back just are massive. Um, I think certain armies do that better than others and there's probably stronger synergy within certain armies with magic and especially some of the lowers that they have access to. So I think that's probably something that would be quite difficult to try and extrapolate out properly. There are armies that are supposed to have a stronger phase than others, and that's totally fine, because uh, they'll be paying for that in some other way. But I don't know if it's under-costed. I don't know if it's... I wouldn't say it's too good, because, I mean, you still get the odd game where your magic phase just doesn't turn up. And if you lose your wizard, then that's like a ton of points that are down the drain. Yeah. So, in my mind, if you can compete in every phase of the game, you're making life so much easier for yourself because you're giving yourself more opportunities to win. So I, I think being able to compete in the magic phase is a big deal. I, I don't think it's too good, though. I think certain lists and maybe certain armies are a bit bent when it comes to certain phases. But I think that's more a question of balance with the army book as opposed to the whole phase being too good. Right. It's interesting that you're saying about competing in every phase of the game because I kind of feel that a little bit, especially about magic, in that it's almost, it's, it's almost like you, you're not taking magic just to for the sake of magic. You're taking magic because you know your opponent's going to take magic. Yeah. And you need to be able to counter that. And yeah, especially in com- like combats and things, like getting one buff off can be massive. So you need to be able to say that, okay, I'll, I might get pummeled this round, but next turn I'm going to buff my guys up. Yeah. And that will swing the combat back in my favour. So yeah, I, I definitely think there's an element there of, like like we were saying about getting that extra combat unit. Would that combat mm-hmm. unit give you more than that one spell at that one crucial time? Yeah, and I, I guess certain armies will do that better. I mean, like, if you've got a unit that, that brings a lot of special rules with it, then does it really need magic? Yeah, that's true. You know, if you've got hatred battle focus because of other synergies, then that's a unit that a lot of people won't want to fight anyway. Yeah, yeah. It depends. I think I don't think I don't think the phase on the whole is 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 too good. Um, so were you saying that Fraz is under the impression that miss, missiles in particular are perhaps too effective in the game? Yeah, I think he's kind of coming from obviously playing Infernal Dwarfs just now, using Pyro and Alchemy, and yeah. I mean magic missiles are very good. I don't think you'll find anyone that disagrees that magic missiles aren't good yeah um i think maybe that's flavor in his interpretation a wee bit because magic missiles get you points in a very direct yeah. way in the game like you can literally destroy a unit with a magical missile 
and you're getting mm-hmm. that immediate reward. Yeah, and I think like Infernal Dwarves in particular are an army that can have a good magic phase. It's not that it's particularly strong compared to other armies, but it just works so well with their other units and special rules that the, that the army has. And I think in particular, Alchemy Pyro Combo is so strong mm. because you're always going to have an army that is either going to be super well armored or is low armored. It's a no-brainer. It's like yeah, it's a good toolbox to have, isn't it? It's like almost like a Swiss yeah. Army knife when it comes to magic. Exactly. So like, if he's playing me with warriors, he's probably going to bring alchemy, and I and alchemy is such a hard counter to my list for my army book as a whole. Or if he's playing against your vampires, then he'll bring pyro, and your ghoul block is fucked. Yeah. So like, it's, like it's it's so strong. I don't think that's necessarily. I don't think either lore is too good. It's just that they lend themselves very well against like the good the good matchup that they want they're just really really strong whereas some other lowers aren't like that yeah like something like druidism is i would say is a more general lower whereas like alchemy you know if, if he runs into an army with like no armor alchemy shit yeah it's basically not doing anything yeah. yeah so it's like two extremes basically that he's able to bring and it's like it doesn't matter what he's going to play because one of them is going to be suitable i think um certain armies I can understand playing against a certain army and thinking that's maybe too strong, but I think it's just uh, how they've designed their list to operate. They've, yeah. just thought, they've just thought about it, and if you happen to come up against you know, a good matchup for them, then it's it's going to look that way, but I think on the whole it isn't. Okay, well, so on that line of thought, what are, what are your kind of go-to magic builds? This is quite interesting because like, I think up until maybe about, about six months ago, it's been very much you bring one master. I would say the majority of army lists that I've seen yeah. is one master, and you either bring in a bunker or you put him in a big scary unit that no one wants to fight. And more and more recently, I've started to see a lot more lists that have got maybe like just two adepts rather than one master, or you know a master. I mean, there's a lot more double master now. That's kind of like a new sexy thing. That's Tom Uden's mm-hmm. fault for bringing that sexiness about. That's a beauty of Ben, though. Yeah, so. wow, well, that's very true. But I think there's... I don't know if it's maybe just because people are, are becoming more comfortable with the magic phase. Try out more things. Maybe that's I think part of it. The, I think the thing that makes bringing multiple low-level casters doable now that that wasn't able to do it as good before is the fact that you choose your spells. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when you, when you design your list and you know you're going to have two guys with two spells each from the two lords that you want... You're, you're definitely designing your list with those four spells in mind. Whereas before, it, it being random, you know, it could go your way, it could not go your way. So I think having that flexibility is really good. And adepts are, I think they're probably better now than they used to be, especially since masters don't get plus two to cast anymore. It's just plus one. Yeah, you can definitely go without that now. You can kind of get by without yeah. it, and you're still getting a plus one to your channel. So really, you're, there's actually a bonus to bringing two adepts over bringing one master. And in certain lists, having that flexibility, I think, is actually better. So I think that, in part, is to do with some of the other changes to the to the uh, magic system now. But yeah, it's totally doable. I think it's really good. And you can build this really effective, low-cost wizards that are surprisingly resilient. And putting them on mounts or being able to hide them through special rules in the army book and 
I think the magic phase on the whole is more flexible than it used to be, uh, oh, which is definitely. definitely a bonus. So Ed's been running recently uh, Orc Shan with Shamanism and uh, Adept Goblin with Witchcraft. Yeah. That's just super strong because both are quite cheap for what they are, especially the Goblin. And you're getting uh, basically uh, an entire lore which is designed around debuffing and another lore which is designed around buffing. <laughs> so you're getting basically a really potent combination there that is useful against essentially every other army. I can't imagine any matchups where Ed will be thinking, shit, I don't really have a good combo here. No, he doesn't. Like, I think that's a good example of two lowers that synergize really well with their with the army that has access to them. Yeah. And in particular for Orcs and Goblins, Witchcraft. Because being able to like enhance movement on an Orc and Goblin army that can declare the Varg and just give everything else extra movement is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Especially when he can fuck with your movement and slow you down or give you random movement. Like it's it's really, really good. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like that combo as well. I think that should be good. Witchcraft and shamanism is also like a gunline's worst nightmare. Because you've got <laughs> every spell in the game that stops you shooting. <laughs> it's just yeah. disgusting. Too okay. strong? Mm. I think it's right. You're paying the points for it. So like, I mean, for all that they're relatively low points, I mean, one of his casters is on a spider, right? Um. So no, he's got the foot shaman, and he's just got the the guy on a wolf, the goblin and wolf. All right. So he's paying like like hundred points. points stuff <laughs> Well, like his foot guy will be like at least four fifty. Yeah. I, th- I actually think he's about four sixty, and his guy in a wolf will be maybe two hundred and something. So he's paying like seven. Yeah. But I mean, like certain armies are designed to run with a lot of characters. It's kind of like Empire. I mean, Empire have got every synergy under the sun, but you're, I mean, you have to bring them right. So you're paying a lot of points in your character allowance. Yeah. Yeah. or those synergies. And I think orcs and goblins can be quite scary with a good magic phase. Without a magic phase, they're, I think, infinitely less scary. Yeah. They, they definitely need some of those buffs in certain combats, I think. Well, is it deceptive glamour that reduces the uh, opponent's agility? Uh, and weapon skill as well. I yeah, I mean, but, that's, that's massive for, especially yeah. orcs, because they're agility dog shit. So... To potentially strike at the same time or even before some things is absolutely massive for them because they're so used to, be, to having to take a, a beating and then give it back. So if you can almost alpha strike units that you've got no right alpha striking, like that, that I mean that can essentially win you games, let alone combats. So yeah, orcs and goblins. I mean they've got one of the best magic items in the game, fucking skullfish. Yeah, it's very good. Very good. Like. For an army that can have a lot of good close combat units that want to be in combat early, it's horrible. The fact that it's board wide, like you don't even have to be in range of anything, is fucking mental. Yeah. I keep forgetting about it when I, when I fight chaff. Like you have that one <laughs> turn where you're in combat with three units of chaff and then you give them three units, sorry, three veil tokens. Yeah. And then he just buffs all the second, like, the second wave units that are coming at you. Ah, so, shit! <laughs> really good so we'll talk more about the paths and specific spells in a minute um, but where do you think bound spells are figuring in all this because this is this is another thing that's been doing the rounds on the forums is that um, bound spells are now shit 
they're nowhere near as good as used to be and they're basically pointless. The only exceptions are obviously dwarves where their face is built around bounce spells. Uh, Empire because the prelates get them and it's basically like a tack on because you're always going to take prelates anyway. And um, beast herds because they can get the, the great totem bear. Yeah, what was the crack with bounce spells before? So like, when I mean, I think before they were too good. So Especially in armies like these herds that had, you know, a fast fucking master kicking about making a fucking Gortak res 9 or some shit. Um, Someone's still there. Oh, dude. I'm a, <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous, res 9. It's not fucking Age of Sigmar. There's no fucking... This is Age of need. Sigmar bullshit. <laughs> so what was what was the deal before? You, you still had to roll for the spell, right? Yeah, it was a nod that you were just capped at two dice. Whereas before now it's... 4-8 or 5-8 or whatever it is depending. Yeah. I think it is because before you could yeah because you could get a bounce spell off on like a fucking 12 before. I'm, I'm frantically trying to look for an old version of the rules. They uh, were definitely uh, better before than they are now. I think the secret of bounce spells is you either have to bring all of them every, every bounce spell that you can fit into a list or you have to augment your magic phase with another caster. And then it's really hard for your opponent to know what to shut it down. You're giving yourself so many good choices. Um, I guess the only army that can't do that is dwarves. But the fact that they can bring multiples of the same bound spell, and some of their bound spells are fucking ridiculous, I think you can still have an effective magic phase as a dwarf. It's just different. I think you, you know that when you go with the army. They're not an offensive magic list to play, but they don't need it. Yeah. Well, actually, this this links into two things I want to talk about. So let's let's chat about dwarves, because never let it be said that Madget Radio doesn't talk about dwarves. I mean, you can, by all means, say Madget Radio are biased against dwarves. I'm more than happy with that statement. I mean, it's probably true. Probably. But it's because they're fucking bent. Well, I mean, totally justified. You know, all myths are based on truth, essentially. So. <laughs> That shit is fact. <laughs> Factual. <laughs> the issue with the dwarf magic phase is that it's boring as fuck, right? So yeah, ha- but dwarves are boring. Everyone that they plays are, dwarves, they are. Boring. And I think this is part of the issue with dwarves is that no one likes playing dwarves because they are just boring. Yeah. Um, but if you're playing magic with dwarves, you have to take one rune smith and one anvil. Mm-hmm. And basically, the most potent way to to make your magic phase is that you pick two lots of three spells. So the anvil has the same spells as the rune guy. And that basically means that you can force through one or two spells a turn on average. And it's not, because of the way bounce spells work now, where you don't actually roll anything, you just put your dice down, it's not a particularly fun phase for anyone involved, because it's basically just counting. Yeah. And it's very robotic, and if anything happens to the Runesmith and or Anvil, the magic phase is useless, because then you just go down to three spells that can be easily stopped. So the moral of the story is don't play dwarves. I mean, that's an important takeaway that all our mm-hmm. listeners should think long and hard about. Think about your opponent. You're not giving them a fun experience if you rock up to the table with dwarves. Well, I mean, we're all playing for fun, right? Exactly. So, so what's the point? I think a lot of alone time and pondering is needed. But Go bef- home, bef- take a good, hard fucking look at yourself. <laughs> good, hard wank. <laughs> <laughs> Get all that dwarven tension out, yeah. 
about not playing any fucking dwarf players at ETC. Never, so never shake it. their hands. It's basically the takeaway <laughs> from that one. Uh, because there's no running water under mountains. Dirty bastards. Interestingly, <laughs> int- <laughs> moving on. Interestingly, on the forum, uh, a lot of people have been talking about whether dwarves should have magic or not. As in, like, proper magic, not this, like, Lego, put it all together bullshit. What's your thoughts on that? If dwarves get magic and water is some shooting, like, <laughs> that, this seems just, to me, that's just, we want our army to be able to do everything argument. Okay. And I, I get it's very frustrating not being able to do certain things with your army that you love, but I think there are just certain things that are intrinsic to every faction. Like, I hate playing against someone that raises shit up. Like, we'll get onto this later. That's a real bugbear of mine. Playing against some army that decides to undo all your hard work and just raise everything back. But I have little issue with playing against someone that is doing that with fucking skeletons and zombies. Because that's what they're supposed to do. Okay. That's good to know. (laughs) So, like, I think that dwarves not having that level of magical prowess is is fine. If the Ninth Age powers that be decided that we are going to give dwarves that option, then I think they would have to balance that somehow with tweaking other elements of the book. Or at least bringing in restrictions to how you build the rest of the list. Kind of like an ogre wild heart list. Okay. Like, maybe maybe you could... Like, there's certain, I mean, there's a lot of shit that you hear on the fucking dwarf forum, people wanting cab. Like, I don't really have an issue with dwarves having cab. Like, if you want to have dwarves riding on goats, you're okay with that. But you can't have an army that does every fucking thing under the sun. There has to be restrictions somewhere. And I think dwarves not having magic to that degree has always been something that I think has been tied with the lore. And to me, just feels right. Yeah. But if they, wanted, if they wanted to change that, then it's, I guess, Ninth Age is a new game all the fluff is, is new, it's, it's different if they wanted to implement that, and that would be one thing. But they would have to bring in other changes, I think, to the book yeah. to balance that. So to play a devil's advocate, first and foremost, right, before we get into that, dwarves should not have calf. And see this dwarf argument about movement, it's utter bullshit. <laughs> and I'm happy to have a full episode of Madgate Radio discussing how fucking stupid that argument is, and how just, like, it's not true. Read your book, it's not true. Anyway, magic. To, to, to play devil's advocate, the people in the form of quite rightly pointed out that I mean, so much of this is legacy, right, from GW, yeah. and that the warmer fantasy fluff was always the dwarves are anti-magic. They they have no natural casting abilities. Blah blah blah. And people have pointed out that you know dwarves and things like Norse mythology um, are very magical. Although there's definitely the connotations with mining and smithing and stuff like that, there's also like this magical element to them, especially in crafting. So they should be able to have magic casters. That's the argument. Yeah. However, um, I agree that the book is kind of built in a way to compensate for the lack of magic. Whether or not that that's you know successfully done or not is a different argument. But the book is is constructed around that. Personally, I would have no issue with dwarves getting magic. I know that might shock and awesome listeners, but I don't. <laughs> um, as long as, you know, like you say, like compensations were made in the, in the book elsewhere, um, and that it was... I don't even mind them having magic masters and things. I think that's fine. Um, I think if they wanted to standardise that across all armies, that's that's fine. 
but there's got to be some kind of element of... Maybe a trade-off. Yeah, exactly. But something that personally I would think is, is quite cool, but people, especially dwarf players, might totally disagree, is that they make dwarves like the anti-magic army, which they're not just now. Now, the arguments against that is that it would basically make dwarves even less fun to play against. Because not only are they not going to move because they, they apparently think they can't move when they can, but they're not going to move and they're just going to stop you having fun and magic as well. And it basically becomes <laughs> just a two-phase game. And is anyone having fun? I guess that's the argument against it. But they've tried, they're in this kind of like weird halfway house just now, I feel, where they've got these really horrible bounce spell system going on. And they're kind of anti-magic because they make you roll one higher, but they're not really. And they can take like that horrible rune that eats a spell. They've got two of them. Yeah, and they've got the bullshit rune, like bound spell rune as well, right? Um, but it's not really anti-magic. I don't know. I just thought that might be something quite cool to make them like the anti-magic lists. But I'd... I guess the kind of other thing to think about, like when we're talking about magic, like if we're talking about magic as a whole. Like, they have a whole book of unique magical items that yeah. buffs their characters and their army out with being able to cast spells. So in that sense, they're extremely magical. Yeah. They're, like, they're like Demon Legions. Demon Legions have got a whole book of their own magical shit. And again, to play devil's advocate, I hope dwarf players are like appreciating this. <laughs> but on average, dwarf players do pay more for similar and or the same magical upgrades as other players although dwarf players obviously get more points and there's more customization so you can get stuff like the super killy d3 wounds king which or the bullshit boomerang build the bullshit boomerang or the the lightning runes which they should absolutely fix <laughs> um but so they, they can do that obviously but they do pay a premium for that that would be the defense i guess on the whole the magic in the dwarf book is probably okay Okay. I I would I would concede that it is boring, and if they were planning on tweaking the bound spell system, then that's going to affect every other army. Oh, that be, yeah, it would be massive. Well. Yeah. So I guess it would just depend on how they would plan on doing that. But to me, that's just part of the army. It's yeah. Part of the book. Like that's what you're signing up for. I think bound spells are still a good part of the game, and I think they complement certain lists really well and you can build a really effective magic phase with bound spells but I think the Dwarven Holds book is that's like a separate issue almost okay so I think it's one of these things that's kind of hard to balance it's kind of like when people moan about Cav not being effective because they play KOE but then it's like well if you if you can't fix that without changing Cav across the whole book yeah or across the whole game I think it's worth saying that like I think across the board Bounce spells are not great, um, and the, you you now apart from dwarves, you now absolutely need to use them in conjunction with another caster. Whether it, like I mean that a lot of people say that's a really good thing, um, and I think part of the backlash of bounce spells is that they were so good, and previously they were too good. They were too good. They were too good because they allowed you to do stupid things like just have lots and lots of prelates, yeah, and still have a really solid magic phase. And it was just it was they were too cost effective for what they were basically. And I don't think anyone can really complain about that. But the, the trade-off is now that you cannot just run bound spells and that you have to run them in conjunction with 
uh, another spellcast because the way the bounce spells work now, they're just too easily stopped. Yeah, but I think, well, for the most part, that's not necessarily a bad thing, because I think a lot of these characters that have bounce spells are doing other things. Yeah, so again, this is this is part of the issue as well, isn't it? Because a lot of people now are now saying that combat ca- combat casters, apart from a, a couple of exceptions like the Master Cannon Tower, they're not really worth it anymore, because they just become too expensive. Whereas a lot of the people who do bounce spells, like prelates and uh, BSBs for uh, Beast Herds, yeah, have that that combat role already. So yes, you're paying maybe a little bit more to get the, the bound spells, but they're that's almost like a secondary role for that character anyway. I think certain armies probably do bound spells better than others. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. But I think for the most part, they're probably okay. Like I don't really have a problem with bound spells. I think uh, I mean there maybe are ways you could tweak them that would maybe make them better on the whole, but I, I don't know what they are. I think they're fine. Yeah, I guess the issue is like, what do you what do you change it to? What's the solution? And it's treading that fine line between making them not good enough and too too good. Yeah, I'd, I'd personally be very surprised if they they muck about with bounce spells now. I think with everything kind of going into this age of gold, um, I think that's just kind of a reality that we're all going to have to deal with. Whether or not they change dwarves is a different matter, obviously, because that'll be um, that'll be down to the army book. Yeah, I think as well. Like, if you want to play, if you want to be involved in the magic phase, you you, you bring casters. I think maybe that's maybe just their philosophy. Like, if you're gonna do it, do it properly. Yeah, it's kind of like playing beast herds and being like, I really want an effective magic, uh, a really effective shooting phase, but I'm only gonna bring ten mongrels with bows, and then complaining that your ten mongrels with bows aren't good enough. It's like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah, <laughs> of course it's not good enough. They're not, they're not supposed to be. I think. I think they're fine. I think they're, they're still a good part of the game. Cool. Before we go into the, the past spells then, there's always quite a lot of debate around what paths are available to armies. Mm. And we've touched upon this in relation to warriors before. But yeah. what's your thoughts just now about the the spread of paths to armies? So it's not something I've, I've looked into. Like before I actually went through all the books and I had like a, a sheet with like the numbers and the specific lores that armies had access to. And it was kind of surprising. I don't know if it's changed since. Um, I guess most army books haven't changed that much in the last 12 months. But I think it's fair. I think most people wouldn't have a problem with like certain factions like Saurian Ancients and Highborn Elves having a very strong magic contingent to the book because they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But then you've got like certain armies that I've got more than others. And I know that they've tried to balance it and that, you know, certain lists can have, or certain books have bounce spells and others don't. Or certain armies have access to, like, wizard conclave type units or characters that just get extra spells that other casters in their book don't have access to. But um, I, re- I can really only speak to, like, the Warrior because that's the only book I really know. And, I, like, in my mind... I still think Warriors should have another lower access to them on, on a caster, but that's just like a wish list type thing. Like I think it's just I think it's just something I would like them to have as opposed to they, they really need it. I still think ranged ability, whether it be magic or shooting, is something that with certain lists, like the magic helps to offset that lack of ability through shooting. Because warriors don't really have that with magic. So 
in my mind, giving them another lower to offset that would, would offer a nice choice. But with regards to other lists, I'm not really sure. Are there any that like pop out to you that are like weird fits? So like, um, sorry, and ancients have an evocation that was uh, that came up a while ago and slam that, um, not slam that. Sorry, um, Ammer yeah, time. Ammer time. Yeah, they yeah. were talking about that. But that's they, a glorious episode. If anyone hasn't listened to that, definitely it's listen to that one. Um, it is it's really funny. Possibly one of the best gaming rants I've ever heard. Oh, it um, is. It's just it is. It's, it's a work of art, really, when you think about it. It's really good. The thing that also makes it good is the fact that the, I think it was the next episode, they actually got uh, Galadis on, and he actually was speaking to them about like, the magic setup for certain yeah. armies. So it's good, because you kind of get both sides of it. But, um, like, Evocation, I think because Evocation used to be always associated with Undead, yes, and they've, they've, they've kind of rebranded it a little bit, and it's, it's more to do with, like, souls and, like, the ethereal almost like it's it's more than just bringing things back yeah to me i don't really have a problem with that because it's like frogs are supposed to be super good at magic and they're old and just, you know just generally frogs yeah, <laughs> just, they just they just have you know they know about the shit so like in my mind it's like easy to accept from a lower standpoint i'm trying to think if there's any armies that i'm just like why the fuck do they have that like we kind of touched on it before with like raising Certain armies being able to raise units back, I think, is bent. Like, I get it for undead, because they're undead, and that's what they do. But, like, fucking KOE, bringing back a fucking Grail Knight. Like, yeah. what's that all about? I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's unfair, but from a lore standpoint and from a fluff point of view, I don't like that. I don't think it really makes sense in my mind that they can do that. Armies like Highborn Elves as well, I don't really see why they should be allowed to regrow shit. Like, the odd wound here and there, I don't really have a problem with. So, like, Pentagram of Pain or, like, Cosmology, you can you heal wounds, but it's, like, one wound. I think that's fair enough. Yeah. But, like, Beast Herds and, and KOE and Highborn Elves being able to raise shit, I don't really like, but that's a criticism of Druidism as a path. I'm okay with it being, like, being able to give you really good saves and making you really like resilient and stuff, but actually raising units back, I, I, I don't really like that. Yeah, I think... See, I, I'm very conscious of what I'm saying just now because I'm an undead player. So <laughs> anything that I say can and will be used against me. It's okay, you've got a free pass. I'm, I'm okay with undead people raising shit. For, for, vampires, for, for vampires and undead, the whole raising aspect of their gameplay is built into... One, how the army book works, and two, the costing. So I think that's a big that's a big factor. I also don't really like the idea of. I mean, I'm sure there's some fluff justifications for this, but I don't really like the idea of stuff like King Decatine Knights coming back from the dead. Don't really get that, and it just feels a bit gamey, gamey, yeah, gimmicky almost. But I know that people will be saying, "Oh, you're an undead. You do that all the time. It's bullshit. How do you like it now?" So I mean I do I do get that side of the argument as well. Um, I I would kind of yeah I would agree with you there that especially because stuff like I mean the boosted version six right six standard infantry or beast. So if you cast that on something like the flame wardens or swordmasters, that's actually better than like a VC elite unit coming back through casting. Mm. I know obviously it's a much you know you're casting that on a much higher um, cast rate and that has to be taken into account as well. But just feel that it's like that's that's the undead thing. That's why you play undead is to do stuff like that. Yeah, 
factions like Highborn Elves, I don't really see why, like from a gameplay mechanics point of view and an overall balance perspective, I don't know why regrowing like a Swordmaster unit is considered okay. Because, okay, they're res 3, but how many of them do you have in the unit? And really that's just the weakness of the faction. Because you're going to hit before anyone else does. You're getting bonuses to hit. You've got a magic phase to buff you. You've got an effective shooting phase. Why do you also need the ability to regrow stuff? And it's the same for KOE. Like, they've got an armor save and a, a ward save. And you're super fast. Okay, you don't have a shooting phase, but you've got other magic available that could be buffing your guys to make you tanky without having to rely on regrowing your units. I'm more sympathetic with KOE because they, they generally have a lower model count, but then it's a bigger deal bringing back those three guys. Well, yeah, if so, you bring back three Grail Knights, I mean, that's basically 200 points, right? Yeah. They're like, I think they're about 80 points each, something like that. I think for me, like, regrowing elves mechanically to me seems bent, whereas KOE... It's probably still bent and annoying, but <laughs> more it irks me more from a fluff point of view with KOE. That I don't like that. I think it doesn't seem like the honourable thing to do, the, the chivalric thing to do. It's like you've lost combat. Accept your fate and just stay fucking dead. Yeah. I'm sure there's justifications which um, you can alert us uh, via email and Twitter if you like. <laughs> we'll be sure to get back to you. I'm going to get an angry rant of an email from Ed. Oh, I, I know. I'm kind of saying this thinking this is exactly what's going to happen. But that kind of leads on nicely now, so we'll leave the reason for a second. I've got no doubt we'll come back to it. But in terms of paths then, what would you say is the best path, and what would you say is the worst path? So, it's hard, right? Because certain paths just go super well with certain armies. For sure. Like, yeah. I'm not a massive fan of occultism and a warrior's list. Some people love it, and that's cool. But I'm more than aware on a fucking Vermin Swarm list, it's bent. It's very good in VC as well, has to be said. And like Dread Elves and stuff. I think yeah. it's really fucking good. And there are certain paths, like we mentioned earlier, that are very extreme in what they do. They do one thing very well. Yeah. But if you have a bad matchup, it's shit. Like, if I run into someone with Pyro, and I've just got all the armor and like high-res stuff, I don't give a shit. Especially if I'm running like a Feldrick list, then <laughs> you may as well not allow them to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will reroll to wins, please. <laughs> so, like, I think it's very hard to say definitively that one path is bad. I, my one criticism of Pyro is that I think it's too one dimensional. I, I get that's what it's for, but too many of the spells seem too similar to me. Like, Flaming Swords is a great spell, and I think that's a good example of having something that's thematic within the path that does something slightly different. They used to have that spell in Pyro that you could put a marker down on the table. Oh, and it was uh, like emulation. Yeah. And you yeah. Could that was a cool spell. Thing, I like that. Which was, yeah, that's that's interesting. It's almost like a, a take on Break the Spirit, right? You can use it to, like, hamper movement or, like, really fuck with people against, yeah. like, the wrong kind of unit. To me... That would make Pyro better. Is taking out one of the spells. You're just doing a, another D6 strength four missile. There's a lot of overlap in Pyro. I think they could tweak Pyro a little bit and make it a little bit interesting. But I mean, 
it's a good lore. Like there's few few lores that can just win you games. And I think actually it's it's kind of testament that Alchemy and Pyro are probably the two that if you get a good matchup, they can dictate how the game goes. They're so matchup dependent a lot of the time that if you don't get a good matchup, then you've just basically invested in something that's not going to have an impact on the game. Yeah, I think apart from Pyro being a little, in my mind, being a little bit too extreme in one sense, the only other lore or path that if I had an army that used this, I don't, I'm not sure I would get the most out of it. Is thaumaturgy? Um, oh, that's interesting. Okay. But I know, like, good players get a lot of mileage out of this lore. I play against people that are better players than me with this, and I fucking hate it. But they're generally using it in synergy with other lores. So at Art of War, I played against Guillaume, and he had yep. demons, and he had a master on thaumaturgy and a master on fuck, what was that? I think it was divination. Oh, okay. Or, it was occultism or divination. It might be divination, and it was a fucking ball like really nasty because a lot of the spells were like synergizing with one another and that's another book that can just have a really strong magic base i think on the whole like the paths themselves are are pretty good and i I think certain armies have access to certain lores it's just a really good compliment so like witchcraft and auction goblins i think is amazing shamanism on ogres is really fucking good vacation on warriors i think is amazing as well like yeah You've got such an elite stat line that being able to just have reroll to wounds and reroll to hit on them, like this was something they never had before. Like I think it was ten months ago, twelve months ago. I think it was when two point came out originally. That was when Warriors first got access to evocation, and it's amazing. I think it's arguably the best lore they've got access to. So I think for the most part, the lores are pretty good. So if I put a gun to your head, then yeah, actually, and I had to choose one. A better. I'm going to take a hammer to all your minis. That probably that probably scares you more. Nah, I, I could never do that, but <laughs> I'll get Jordan to do it. She's got a mean streak in her. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think you're more likely to hold a gun to someone's head than actually like destroy their minis. Yeah, I can do that. The pain would be worse. Um, so I've got a, a hammer to your your minis. Yeah, you've got to choose the best lore, and you've got to choose a worse lore. What do you go for? Okay, for best lore, I'll say shamanism. Okay. And for a worse lore, I will say this is difficult. I'll say Pyro. Just uh, no, I can't say Pyro. That would be super I really controversial. <laughs> I really, I really don't know. Like, I'll say Thaumaturgy. Fuck it, I'll say Thaumaturgy. Okay. Not because I think it's bad, just because I don't know what else to say. Right. So shamanism for your strongest and shamanism, shamanturgy, thaumaturgy for your weakest. So I would agree with that on both of them. Oh really? Yeah, I I totally agree. I don't think there's any bad lores. I think, on the whole, I think they've done a, an amazing job of balancing magic. Every lore is different. Every lore is unique to how you want to construct your list, and they're all fun. Personally, I don't like alchemy because I feel it's too it sounds stupid, but it's too focused on armor. It's kind um, of like pyro. Yeah, I mean, pyro's always got the advantage that I mean, ninety percent of people will have chaff or something that you can use um, pyro on, and armor. I mean, even if they've got like a four-up armor on stuff, like they're gonna fail stuff. So I always mm. feel that you can almost get your money out of pyro in most circumstances. And like in a classic infernal dwarf list, maybe like you're just wanting to roll up and die. Um, alchemy, I think that if you come up against something that doesn't have armor, something like my ghoul list, like alchemy just does not scare anyone. It's just very meh. But that's personal bias. 
because I know that a lot of people swear off, I swear about it. Um, yeah. sh- shamanism would be my number one. Simply because it's got it's got combat buffs, it's got debuffs, it's got a magic missile, and it's got to attempt at someone. Yeah. Um, good anti-shooting, good combat, yeah, good movement. It's stuff. just all round very good. The casting values are all very reasonable. Scarification is the best attribute, especially if you take it on a combat list. Thaumaturgy, I would say, is the worst, simply because a lot of, like, I think it's three spells, three of the six, rely on you rolling better than your opponent. So you've got the Trial of Faith, which is the D3 plus one versus D3. You've got um, Smite the Unbeliever, where it basically depends on what you roll unless you cast the the boosted one, and that can sometimes fuck you. Even stuff like Hand of Heaven is D6. So if you roll a, if you target a monster and you roll a one, even mm. with the boosted version, which you've probably thrown three or four dice at, you're doing fuck all. I just feel that if you successfully cast something, you want to have an effect, and that's why a lot of the time, if someone will cast like a one, a one shot magic missile, that will be the one that I let through mm. because there's a decent chance they're going to fuck it. So that's that's literally the only reason I would put Thaumaturgy at the bottom. And the um, the judgment on high where you have to reroll ones can sometimes fuck people because you end up rolling a miscast. But, I mean, Wrath of God is amazing. Cleansing Fire is amazing. Hand of Heaven, if you can consistently roll above four, is amazing. Second best lore, I would say, is Witchcraft. Yeah. It's all round. It's not as good as Shamanism. But the thing that really redeems Witchcraft is A, that its attributes really good. Mm-hmm. And B... The casting values in Witchcraft are absolutely insane. Deceptive Glamour, boosted version, is cast on a 6+, plus, 24-inch hex. Minus 2 offensive, minus 2 offensive, uh, sorry, defensive, and minus 2 agility on yeah. a 6+. Plus. Who okayed that? That can't be right. To a similar extent, like, as much as I love it, Awaken the Beast, a 5+, plus mm-hmm. or a 7+, plus, is bananas for how good that is. Um, but across the board in Witchcraft, the, the casting values are just just crazy good. That would be my assessment. And like you, I mean, Pyro can be difficult, but Pyro can also win you games if you get a good matchup. Evocation is solid. Like, that would probably be my number three. I really like Divination. Div's good, but interestingly, I feel like Div and Druidism are quite similar in that they're, all the spells are very good, but it's the range that fucks them. Yeah, it's not high about the range. 18 yeah. inches is the max. Yeah. And ironically, in Druidism, the only spell that's long range is the broken one. <laughs> Summer growth. <laughs> I find Druidism really annoying to play against, but it doesn't necessarily appeal to me to, to use. I think it's quite a hard path to use. I don't know if it's one of these lowers that is, is better to have in combination with other things. So Nick was running an Adept on Druidism and an Adept on Shamanism for a while, mm-hmm. and that felt very good. He's since gone back to just a Master. Because he feels yeah. that you just get more for your money for a master, but um, that was quite difficult to play against because from one to four in Druidism, one to four in Shamanism, there's just very good spells. So yeah, you can, you can have four very strong spells there. I think this kind of comes back to what we we're saying before about that you, you're picking your level and your path based on the fact that you know what spells you can take. Yes, yeah, which is a massive boost over what it was if, before. If you don't need five and six, then there's almost no point in bringing a master. And it's quite a big jump in points, because it's 75 extra points for an adept, but it's 225 for a master. It's quite a big difference. Yeah. So it's a little bit more economical, and especially with beast herds, because you're probably going to have totems, right? For sure. So, yeah, I think that's a good combination. Talking about shamanism, 
I don't know, like, I guess you could apply this argument to a lot of different spells in the game, because there's always that clutch moment in a game where a spell can just have a massive swing on how a combat goes, or a certain, maybe you get a movement buff off and something, and it just changes the whole game. Yeah. But, Totemic Summon, is that too, is that too good a spell? Okay, so welcome to the part of the show where we're going to moan about Totemic Summon for probably 10 to 15 minutes. I know this has fucked you over in the past. I remember your your game against Tim Ross. Was it at the, was it at Tech? Uh, I think you said there was a game where I might not have been against Tim, but you play against someone and you you spent all your dice to you know you held them all back to stop their spell and they still got it off. Oh, so Totemic Summon was for a long time the bait of my existence because um, you played Empire. I you played the Empire Gunline, and yeah. it was at a point where shamanism was like the spice of the month. And every fanny and his granny was running shamanism masters, and you had to choose basically of do you want to actually kill something in the shooting phase, or do you want to let a totemic summon come on? And I think, I mean, if you've got to choose like a best spell in the game, it's got to be summon or wrath of god, right? And wrath of god has got the element that it's just not always reliable, whereas a summon is always worth it. Do you think? I think the thing about summon that. I think is so good is the fact that you can have six of these fuckers in the table. Yeah. On the table. But you're not capped. Like, okay, it's not like it's going to kill a lot of shit, but they're a pain in the ass. Like, it's not the same as summoning, like, ten zombies. They're, like, random movement 3d6. So random movement's awesome. You can't pin it down. It can go wherever the fuck it wants. So even if you're not hunting a gun line, as chaff, they're amazing. Yeah. And the res five... So you can't just throw shit strength three units at it. You've got to dedicate something to kill it more often than not. And you're not you don't get anything for it. Yeah. And if you've got three or four of these on the table, I think this spell's better than Wrath of God. I, in my mind, the casting value's okay. The the range the fact that it's ninety six inches is fine. It's just the fact that you're not capped at having like so many on the table at one time. Like if it was no more than three on the table that you can have summoned, I would be okay with that. But as it stands, I think it's a touch too good for what it gives you. Okay, so you think too good? I think it's slightly too good. Because yeah. this is this is quite a heated topic um, in the world of magic debates on the Ninth Age Forum. Is there other people of that opinion? Oh, there's quite a lot that have real issues with Totemic Summon. I think it was actually the, the Battle Focus podcast I was listening to, and they were, they were moaning about it. <laughs> I think so. I'm sorry, Jack, if that's not the case. Okay. I kind of flip flopped. I used to be strongly of the opinion, funnily enough, when I was running the gun line, that um, <laughs> it was broken <laughs> and that it was just so good because, like you say, you're basically getting a, a decent unit for free that's super mobile, can get into the back of stuff, and just generally be a pain in the ass, and it's got a breath weapon. And the breath weapon used to always piss me off because if it'd come on, yeah. just turn breath weapon, then charge you. I mean, even if it came on, it was always going to get something. Even if it just causes a wound or two, it's still like a pain in the dick. Yeah. But I kind of feel now that... So you have to declare where it goes before you cast. And this is something that a lot of people don't do. Mm-hmm. It's like the God. Yeah. It's like the zombies as well. And the reason that I only started kind of being quite strict about this when I'm playing people is that I didn't realise this before I started playing VC. And I read that you actually have to say where the zombies go. So that makes a massive difference. Actually, because then if someone says, right, the, the totemic someone's coming on here, you can have, you can kind of evaluate the situation and go, right, okay, I'm okay with it if it comes on there. If it had gone behind me, then that would have been an issue. It is still a high cast value. 
it's a 10 for the one inch one um, mm -hmm. a 12 for the the big one so that's basically someone's big oh, nice. yeah that's that's their big spell in a phase if they're looking to get that on but the advantage of totemic summon particularly in shamanism in general is that most shamanism spells are easily two diceable so you can get at least one or two little buffs off because someone really doesn't want you getting totemic summon off yeah and it, it can bully magic phases really effectively and I think that's probably where it actually comes in at its own more. I mean, it's obviously awesome on the table, but the fact that it can... I mean, a lot of people are being like psychologically mishandled by a totemic summon <laughs> in their past, so they just like absolutely are not letting that on whatsoever, and they'll let you get crazy good buffs off just to stop them coming on. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you ask me just now, I would say that it's not too powerful, but it's definitely best bet on the game. But ask me next week, because I'll probably change my mind. <laughs> Okay. I mean, it's got to be, right? I mean, what else really competes against it for best spell? I mean, like, Wrath of God against the gun line is brutal. Yeah, but then so is... Um, stationary stationary type lists don't want Wrath of God going off. I mean, Chill and Howl going off on a gun line is yeah. debilitating. The ability to cast Breath weapons, so uh, Breath of Corruption and whatever the Thaumaturgy one is, Cleansing Fire, Yeah, that's massive. I think they are incredibly good for what they are. Magical moves can win you games. Especially like something like Raven's Wing, where it's such a big magical move. Snipes are obviously they, if you get lucky a snipe, you can win a game. Snipe the general turn one. It's happened to me yeah. and it's happened for me before. Is there a worse? Is there a spell that springs to mind? You're like that's probably the worst spell in the game. I think that's a, a harder question because you can always imagine a situation that you think, oh, that if that went off in that instance, that would be amazing. I guess that's it, right? There's just some spells where they're probably just too situational, maybe. Like, Spirits of the Wood always feel that for Druidism. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, Sylvan Elf Hereditary. Yeah. Always, kind of a it's meh. kind of meh. Yeah, exactly. Pentagram of Pain is very meh. Yeah, I mean, the one saving grace that's got is the fact that you can use that to heal yes, your yeah. caster. And the fact that you can cast it as an aura. So if you've got, like, a super mobile caster that can fly, you can just take out chaff and, like, and then, like, heal yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Bananas. Trail of Faith's a bit shit. I mean, it's not... But it is, it's pretty low cast values for what it is, I guess. It's 710. You need the big one, though, if you're targeting a character in a unit, though, right? Yeah, and it's only 18 inches. It's the threat, though. It's like, oh, do you let it off? And then, like you say, you just you roll well and they roll shit. Yeah, and then you're dead. You take the risk. I mean, it's AP 10. So, okay, if you've got, like, a 4-up, if you're targeting a character and you've got, like, a 4-up a special save, then you probably do just let it go. But otherwise, I think you have to stop it because it's a big risk. I tell you what, actually, see of all the spells, I think the one that the only spell that I've never played against is uh, speaking in tongues. It looks really right. fucking good, right? But, yeah, in the right instance. But is it just too that, situational? Good. Eighteen inch range is a bit of a bollock for it as well, because you really want to be casting it turn one on like a chaff unit, tearing it off, yeah, or something like that. But I mean, like, I guess if you're playing a list, is really relying on a leadership bubble. Yeah. Then that can like dissolve a flank. Oh, for um, sure, yeah. Especially if you're playing something like Ogres. You, you know, you've got like a Discipline 7 unit. If you're using that in combination with like Terror Causers and stuff, that could be big. Yeah, it's like, worst spells hard, right? So what would you go for mm -hmm. then? Right, so the hammer's raised against your Warriors once again. Again, it's not me uh, that's doing this. It's a paid employee of Madget Radio. Right, okay. Well, joke, we don't have money to employ people. <laughs> when you said that I had an image of Martin... Yes, it's me got a gun to Martin's head, who's then got a hammer to, there we go, little um, 
human centipede I action. I don't on think you need that level of motivation. I think you do it. Nah, he's probably quite evil, isn't he? Touch the heart, maybe? Again, it's good in certain circumstances, but most of the time uh, they're in the... Cast that on a six if you're a master. Yeah, it's the low casting that saves us, isn't it? What's the range? 24 as well. It's decent. Pretty good. Dunno. I don't think I could name a worst spell. There's elements of spells that annoy me. Like Hellfire not being flaming. That ah, that's me. hereditary. That doesn't count. It doesn't count. It has yeah. to be from the main book. Yeah, because that's my next question. Uh, I think my minis would have been stamped on by now. Oh, really? Uh, if I choose one, I feel like I'm just being arbitrary. Yeah, but do my it. Minis. It's like, come on. Nobody listens to us anyway. Let's have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> Martin listens. Allegedly. We don't know that for a fact. According to our listener statistics, um, everyone that's listened to this is in Thailand. <laughs> this is a lot of dodgy people with really questionable internet providers. Shenanigans. Slash questionable tastes. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna be controversial and say there isn't one. You pussy. What is yours, Eric? Can you say then? Um, I'll go... What did I say originally? Well, you were kind of swithering on Touch of the Heart, but I don't know if that was going to be your final decision. Touch of the Heart is about shit, isn't it? Yeah, I'll go... Yeah, I'll go Touch of the Heart. It's about shit. Silver Spike annoys me. Silver Spike is a bit shit. Because you always want to hit a monster, right? And you never roll the four. Yeah. But again, if it goes off, it's amazing because it's DC wounds. AP 10. But, like, I never take it if I have a master in alchemy. So you've got, like, a 50% chance of wounding them, and then you've got a 66% chance doing a two or three wounds. Silver Spike could be a shout, actually. You know what? I'll see Silver Spike. Because that'll let me give Alchemy a bit of a kick in, which I've really been wanting to do since we started talking. <laughs> I like Alchemy, but on a Master, it's just whether or not you put the Corruption of Tin, because Corruption of Tin is such a good spell. Because it stacks, yeah. and there's very few spells in the game now that does stack. That would be my only motivation for bringing a Master on Alchemy. Otherwise, I think an Adept is Word of Iron and Glory of Gold are probably the best two spells in that. Just because giving yourself more armor, I think, more often than not, is a good thing. Giving yourself flaming attacks to be able to stack the attribute and magical attacks sometimes can be very good. If you're playing against like the, the undead bullshit that I don't like playing against that you run sometimes. Undead bullshit. Three-up save in combat on a rank-and-file unit is mental. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, Tim was not happy about that the other day when we were playing. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I just kept making them. I mean, you should be making most of them, right? What was he fighting? Um, it was a Gortak went into a unit of five, which were in a flank, and the Vark, a Vark was in the front, and he was obviously going for the easy, easy wounds. I think he did like four or five wounds, and I saved all but one. So I guess that's not too out of average, but it's a pain in the dick, right? You do all those wounds, and you only take off like one model or no models. Okay, I the totally... Gortak not doing multi wounds against the Vark. Uh, only if he gets a uh, six to wound. So only on sixes. Yeah. I think Silver Spike. I'll say Silver Spike. It's my worst spell then. So Mad Get Radio <laughs> official, Silver Spike is dog shit. I'm going to get that on t-shirts. <laughs> okay, so that's the main spells. So yeah. before we finish up, Hereditaries. Best Hereditary, Worst Hereditary. Go. Worst Hereditary, I'll say Sylvan Elves. Just because... It's shit, in it. <laughs> well... I mean, what is it really giving you? Like, you get... If you do the boosted one, enemy units have to re-roll natural to hit rolls of six. If you cast it on a unit that has Forest Walker, you get to re-roll uh, to one. That's it. Re-rolls to win the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is low cast of values, but... The one that springs to mind for me that shit. I don't like it. But I think that speaks more about the Sylvan Elf being a bit meh. Yeah. 
In terms of best one, I think the Undying Dynasties one is just a pain in the dick because they have so many augments anyway. So running the, the Double Master, yeah. the Tom runs, that's just horrible. Being able to bring that amount of shit back. I hope Tom's happy that he's kind of scarred the Scottish scene with his Double Master bullshit. don't like it. Other ones that kind of stand out. Sparker Creation. It's very cool. I like that. It's really fucking good. And I like the Vermin Swarm one. It's also cool. It's very good. Like, Vermin Swarm magic face is fucking horrible. Most faces like, against Vermin Swarm is pretty horrible just now, though, right? But, like, the guy on the thing that has, like, 360 line of sight and I gets extra fucking range and it's just blah. Not nice. It's blah. <laughs> it's blah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I mean, the Vampire Count's territory's got to be up there, right? Obviously, that's built into the army book in a kind of more wider sense. Again, it doesn't really bother me, because I just kind of think, like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. I'm so happy I've converted you. Like, don't get me wrong, it's a pain in the ass, but, like, <laughs> it would feel wrong, almost, if that wasn't a thing. Fucking Spear of Infinity is potentially bananas, but I think that takes a little bit more skill to pull off. Yeah, you've got to cast it last, don't you, to really get your monies out of it. In which case, you, you you know, you'll see it coming. But, I mean, it's the fact that it's, like, replicable as well. It's really good. It's the fucking area attack as well. I definitely nice. think for worst, it's got to be either Sylvan Elves or Beast Herds, right? Yeah, the Beast Herds one isn't super hot. But it's got the redeeming feature of, if you cast it in advance... Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's the minus one discipline. If you cast it in advance, you can do stuff like terror check stuff that they're not expecting, mm-hmm. which is cool. But apart from that, yeah, it's the, it's the minus one discipline. I've never seen Nick cast that. I think he's only ever taken it against me once, and he didn't cast it in the game. Is that when you played Empire? Yeah. Because I was going to say, there would be no fucking point bringing that against No sorry. <laughs> I get why it's in the book. It's kind of like the Sylvan Elf one. It's fluffy. It's just not well, as good I mean, compared to other ones. The Beast Herod Hereditary is in there because certain elements on the book design project at a certain time had a certain view about what the Beast Herd should be doing. <laughs> That's how it ended up in the book. I like how you're using the word elements to refer to... Cough, cough, terrible. Um, individuals. Individuals who, obviously, I know nothing about. I don't think we should be any under any illusions. That's why the Hereditary is what it is. I imagine that will get changed pretty quickly once they start doing the, the Beast Herd rework. It's a cool idea, though. As a strength that the army should be able to play to, that it can like it can do that to armies that can like especially against things like that rely on leadership, like empire being like one of those armies that you know you're very conscious of the bubble. Yeah, I mean you especially. I mean, how many games have you played where your, your lines dissolved because yeah, no one can make a discipline check? So like it's that's huge. Just, that's just part of being an empire player. Is that like see when you play something like vampires or like fearless warriors there's so many yeah. of these spells like across the magic paths and across the edges where you're just like i'm not really scared of that i'm not really scared of that it doesn't really bother me when you play yeah. empire every single spell scares the shit out of you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i, I think that I, for me the sewing up one is definitely not as good I think balance wise is not a strong hereditary i no. think it's definitely the bottom pile yeah 100 percent I mean, there's a lot of hereditaries that are basically iterations of the same thing, mm. like um, like the Dread Elf one and the Orcs and Goblins one, and the King Dead Quotain ones are all kind of similar. But yeah, I would agree. It's got to be, the best one's got to be Spark of Creation, or I'm sorry, that's a lie. The best hereditary is the Undying Dynasties raised spell, yeah. but it's not really a spell because of how the book works. So I guess if you're saying an actual spell, 
I would say, uh, Spark Creation or Vampire Arise. What are your thoughts on the Warriors one? Just because, you know, it's my podcast and I think Warriors suck and talk about Warriors. <laughs> Laying down the law. Um, I like it. I think it's good for the book. I think the fact that you've got a guaranteed element in the book that you can use to clear chaff yeah. is something the book needs. I just wish it was flaming. And I know, like, there's going to be the odd matchup. Like, if it's flaming, then, you know, if you play Infernal Dwarves, then you're fucked. But it's called Hellfire. I don't understand why it doesn't do flaming damage. Yeah. I mean, it used to be sent like, up as well. I mean, that even at nice. Strength 6, like, 2d6 Strength 6, even with AP 0, that's amazingly good. That is very good. Yeah. Range is about, yeah. 18 is a bit rubbish. But then your caster is always going to be up and, up and about anyway, right? Because you're playing Warriors. You've got, like, a, a Herald. Or if you're just bringing the, the banner, 18 should be okay. Yeah. Spell wise, most of the heavy energies are pretty good. They're pretty floppy. It's high and well with most of it. Ogre one's got to be up there, right? It's very tasty. That or shamanism is fucking mental. Yeah. Really fucking good. It's funny to think that, you know, two years ago we had armies that just had unique lowers. So that's quite a good point to like, wrap up on. I feel that I think the team's gonna, done a great job. Mm-hmm. They can absolutely spend the, um, send the sponsorship monies for saying that. I was very sceptical when they, they talked about the Magic Fees at first because they were using terms like streamlining and cards. Ugh, sounds scary. But I think that the system, especially the, like, the setup of the Magic Fees now, is awesome. It's really fun. It's intuitive. It's far better than it, it was before. The paths are all very well balanced. I think the fact that we've spent the last 40 minutes trying to decide what the, what the worst spell in the game is um, is kind of testament to, it's, you know, it's hard to actually <laughs> say that. The hereditary spells are all very cool. They add that little extra bit of fluff to the books. Yeah, good additions. There's definitely, the power level of the hereditary is definitely a bit more over the place. i tell you what, actually, Empire, that could definitely be a shout for best hereditary. It's really good. It's been able to, like, choose any, was it, any number one spell from any yeah. available paths? Yeah, it's very good. You were particularly excited about that when the Empire book came out. It's solid. What did you just bring? The Cosmo? Was it Cosmo you brought? Um, depending on the matchup, yeah, it was either Cosmo or Divination. Because the Cosmo was plus one a hit for your shooting stuff, essentially. And um, know thy enemy for, for Div. And then if you're matchup specific, you can take Fireball or uh, Quicksilver Lash. Pretty tasty. Does that make you miss the Empire a little bit? I'd be kind of thinking, like, just for, like, ETC burnout. I still really like the list I'm going to take to ETC. I'm still, like, finding it fun to play. But I am now thinking, like, what am I going to play after it? So I might give the Empire a wee bit of a run out after ETC. And then I can remember why I stopped playing Empire and go back to Vampires. (laughs) So, getting off topic now, talking about ETC. It's a segue, Paul. It's excellent Segue. Excellent segue. I find segues are best kind of segues when you actually say they're a segue. Oh, it's the mad gateway, really. Yeah. I think this is just a off the ball idea. Take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Mad get bingo that the listeners can play while they listen along. Segway <laughs> would absolutely appear on that uh, that bingo board. Mm-hmm. As would sexy, would tasty, bullshit, fuck dwarfs, fuck dwarfs. <laughs> just generally using the word bent. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I interrupted your segue with no, my segue. Segway crash. I'm starting to think about other things that could be on this bingo board. There we go. Christmas special is writing itself. <laughs> so just to kind of wrap up the magic, it's been a big success and it's definitely a big enjoyable part of the game. So we're definite fans of the magic phase. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Talking about 
uh, ETC, we're probably going to do some sort of pre-ETC show. Yes. Uh, ETC is August time, and we're fast approaching July, so... Did that, really? Fucking terrifying, man. It's fucking terrifying. So, have you got any thoughts on that? What we're going to do for... Yeah, so we'll, we'll do a pre-ETC show. They don't know it yet, but I think what we're going to do is we're going to get the lovely Team Scotland coaches on. Okay. All um, of them? Yeah. That could be pretty hilarious. Yeah. I've not had a big show in a while, actually. A lot of people on. Yeah, fuck it. We'll, yeah, we'll do that. We'll see what, well, we'll see what happens. They don't know that we're having this conversation, but um, they will know. So we'll have a, a pre-ATC show where we talk about how Team Scotland are preparing or the lack of preparation in Team Scotland, which is probably going to be the more realistic topic. And then obviously because we're both going to be there this year, yeah, hashtag man. mad get love, we are probably going to try and get some content out while we're there. What form that takes? Who knows? Uh, who knows? We, do, we don't. <laughs> yeah, because we certainly don't. I would love to do some kind of like video vlogs. Yeah, I think the kind of things that you and Martin did last year were good. You say me and Martin, that was 100% just Martin. Um, well, you were in one of them. I was in one of them right at the end. Yeah. But I think doing something like that, even like when we were just cutting about in the, the apartment and stuff, because I've got absolutely no doubt that there's going to be shenanigans happening. The price is gone, so. I mean, it's the hashtag party house, right? Should we do the pre-show after list release and we can have everyone slag off our list? Um, that could potentially be a show. I guess it depends on timings, right? Because when, when do we have to hand them in by? Mate, don't ask me questions like that. <laughs> don't, ask, don't ask the assistant head person of the whole fucking team. Nah. Questions? I think it's, like, soon. It's it's definitely soon, but, like, when did they actually release them? I mean, they, they were pretty quick last year at the turnaround. Okay. So I would imagine that we'll have them at the latest, kind of mid-July, probably before that. Yeah, I would think so, right? Because there's a lot of lists for people to get through prior to going. So yeah. We could potentially just talk about our list. Yeah. So, like, yeah. maybe aim for mid-July? Yeah, mark? That'll, that'll be the last one before we head. So, yeah, definitely going to be doing something beforehand. We'll do some stuff when we're there, hopefully, and definitely a, a kind of wrap-up afterwards. Yeah. So, in short, there will be ETC content coming your way. <laughs> After we've yes. just had like a team meeting live on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so before we wrap up, have you got any like immediate post-ETC plans? Have you got anything that you're thinking, that's what I'm going to run after ETC? I'm not even thinking that far ahead, to be honest. Like, just now I'm just kind of focusing on the lists and getting as much practice for that as possible. I've had the, a couple of games with Ogres on UB, so whether or not that kind of materialises after ETC we'll see whether or not I'm actually going to have models on the table but I'll definitely be playing more ogres than I am now cool I've got I've got shit there I just have to paint it but like I say I've, I've had to paint a lot for ETC so yeah you've been a busy really been able to. what about you Empire uh, maybe try Empire for a while I mean I just prefer playing vampires more fun but you've only been playing Empire uh, vampires for six months uh well, I started playing it like in the aftermath ETC last year, so we're going on a year now. It's funny because it's kind of the same with Empire. You've kind of only really played, you know, iterations of two lists, really. Yeah, basically. And you were kind of the similar, like with Empire, like you kind of started off with a lot of cav, and then you changed to the boring gunline. Gun <laughs> <thing. laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, I've quite liked playing, like, a very aggressive list for the vampires. Mm-hmm. So I've got like an all mounted cav list that I've written for Empire, an all mounted cav list that I've written for vampires. So I think I'll just try a few different things. Nothing's really properly grabbed my attention, but ah, we'll see. I would quite like to do like the um, the heavy wraith list. Oh yeah, like having the two units of wraiths and the banshees, just because I think it'd be cool. Play against pyro, okay. you're fucked. But I think that will be my kind of general ideas. I'll just kind of try a lot of crazy stuff after ETC. So sticking with vampires for the foreseeable future, you're not tempted to dip into a third army in the new year? Well, it's funny you say that, because I have been kind of playing around with <laughs> train journeys, man. Train journeys, yeah. like, fuel bad There's habits. There's a devil's way thing. I've been looking a bit at demons. I thought you might say that. Playing around, I've been actually looking a bit at beast terrors as well. Oh, really? Yeah, because I kind of thought, like, the super aggressive playstyle, which I'm enjoying... Not a huge amount of models. Something mm-hmm. quite different to paint. Um, That's they, interesting. They get lots of cool stuff. Maybe. Do. I don't know. Beast Herds is definitely an army I could see myself playing. It's a cool okay. book. I've always liked the book. But yeah, I mean, the the options for demons are very cool as well. Like I would like I like this idea about doing like this kind of cult of the eagle idea. Where everything's oh, yeah. like bird-like. Um, so is that GW minis? I mean, a lot of them would be the, the GW stuff, but you get quite a lot of companies do like just generic demons with this kind of bird avian uh-huh. theme. I, I mean, a, a big part of that will be the Zeech influence. But, um, That's cool. Yeah, I think that would be quite smart. And there's a guy on the forum whose name escapes me, and I apologise um, if you're listening, but he's got like an, an amazing demon army where he's used the GW Stormcast, the eagle stuff, alongside the, um, the Zeech Zangors. Oh, okay. Got, like, Zangor's mounted on the, the eagle, monstrous calf stuff, and it, it just looks really cool. And I yeah. think that, that would fit that kind of colour of the eagle idea. And then even, like, the Stormcast, like, they've got dog eagles. <laughs> things. Yeah. yeah. Griff, Griffhounds or something. And they would be ideal for hellhounds. So I think there's a that lot would be of a very snazzy army. cool things. Plus, again, low model count. I am going to do a low model count army next. But then I've also been thinking maybe about just doing... A few little side projects, like terrain. I've been meaning to do some like nice terrain for a while, so I might just do that. Okay. There's plenty to be done. Whether things happen or not is... Yeah. We'll need to do another uh, hobby-themed episode maybe in the autumn-winter time. Yes, that's Talk a good idea. Talk about new projects and... That'd be a good uh, post-ETC one, actually, to do. Maybe like uh, like if we ever get around to doing this campaign, we well, have knocking about. Yeah, so, I mean... I think I can say with a certain degree of certainty that I'm not going to play ETC next year. I think. Is that the vibe? I mean, if Jordan asks, I'm definitely not playing. <laughs> no, I, th- I think I need to go on record and say that. Ah, oh, but I might. Tactical. I don't know. We'll wait. We'll wait. We'll wait. Um. I mean, is Jordan going to listen to this? No, don't be silly. She's so, got, I mean, you don't she's saving lives, man. She's away. got things to do. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but definitely, if I don't do ETC, I want to do more stuff with the club and I think a campaign would definitely be something that I would want to do. For sure. Lots of linkage goodness. Yeah, so basically that little 20 minute rant at the end of the episode is that we've got lots of content coming and we're sorry that we haven't done a lot recently but there is more in the works. Before we say goodbye time for some shameless self-promotion you're obviously listening to us through your device of choice. You can get us on SoundCloud, iTunes and actually as of today basically every podcast site in the internet has us on it now what 
if you just type in Madgate Radio, we're on basically everything. I'm not we're uploading them the there. Interwebs. You're not uploading them there. I don't know who's doing it, but thank you. What? Yeah, man. We're international. That's it. It's those people in Thailand. They love the shit out of us. <laughs> um, if you reach. want to send us a message, you can do so on Twitter, um, at Scottish Ninth Age, because we claimed Scotland, because we're like that. Get us through email, scottishwildlands at gmail.com. Holy shit, if you Google us, there's a thing called Google Podcasts. Yeah, man. Fucking hell. Where did this happen? We are international. But this is how good we are. I know, right? We don't even know where our Ooh. content is. I mean, I feel like if anyone's making money out of us, they should send us some. Please. I doubt anyone's making money out of us, to be fair. But What does the little E stand for next to Manicat Radio? Is that entertainment? Or is that, like, explicit? The little E? So if you Google Madget Radio, right. you go into Google Podcasts. There's a little E next to Madget Radio. I'm sorry, folks, you're going to have to stay around for this. We're going on a side quest. This is another segue. If anyone's wondering, this is the kind of behind-the-scene action that you don't see on the episodes. I normally cut it out, but I'm totally leaving it in this. Oh, thing. 100%. I'm not seeing a Google Podcast. Podcast.com, Podtail, Podcast Apple, Player FM... If you literally just Google Madget Radio... Yeah, I've done that. The first thing that comes up is Madget Radio on SoundCloud, right? Yes. If you look below that, you've got lists of episodes. Yeah. Click on more episodes. <gasps> Google Podcasts. Oh, yeah, the E is explicit. Is it? Yeah. Yes. That was kind of what I hoped it meant. Yeah, there's because I had to do that for the, um, the iTunes one. Ah, Okay. Um, so they don't shout us. Yeah, um, I was going to say entertainment's probably a bit of a stretch, but it's yeah. definitely explicit. I mean, one of the podcasts, like there's something like Listen Notes or Podcast dot com, um, has like a <laughs> explicit rating, and we're like top explicit. <laughs> nice. So where there's like pornography, and then there's Market Radio. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was a little fun side quest for everyone. So if you do have any questions or potential topics for shows, please do get in contact. If you see us at events, we now have bespoke Madget Radio dice and accoutrements. Oh, yeah. So if you're nice to us, you might get a dice. If you're not nice to us... You might get a dice dice. thrown at you, but then retrieved Mm. because you're not keeping the dice. Because you were nice (laughs) to us. Check us out swagging it up on the bottom tables. And that's about it. Any last words, Paul? No. Just to say thanks for listening. And uh, we've got lots of cool things in the pipeline. So hope people are enjoying the podcasts. And if you're not, fuck you. Yeah, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, good night.